So all of Bethlehem now and Lakeville and Mounds View and downtown, let's pray together. Father, we have been given not a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but a spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And I pray that the spirit of sonship would be poured out through this message and that a witness would be born beyond all human witness and through this witness that your children are your children so that the glorious gift of assurance and rock-solid security would be ours for the sake of the most risk-taking, abandoned, happy, joyful, serving lives imaginable. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a week of upheaval in the Middle East. Such events serve to warn us that the day will come sooner or later when the evil in men's heart and the hostility of man will not be containable by human force. It will break the dam of restraint and will flood to your very door. So the key question in these days and those days is for all followers of Jesus, will your faith in Jesus endure? Or will you give way to fear and unbelief and anger and vengeance. Prophet Daniel said that one of those rulers in that day would, quote, speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Daniel 7.25. And in the book of Revelation, the apostle John describes the time like this. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance of the faith of the saints. So, the cru crucial question in that day and this day is... Will you endure? Will you persevere to the end holding fast to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior or will you throw it all away and embrace the illusion of unbelieving safety? That's the question of eternal security perseverance of the saints 
and it's the topic of this message. We're in a series of messages that reaches back over the 30 years or so looking for the 30-year theological trademarks, we called them last week, or biblical touchstones, shaping truths that have profoundly made us who we are as a church. And I argued that the reason for that is that these doctrines that we'll be doing 10 or 11 messages on are so well suited to take this moment of transition that we're in and make it a launch rather than a landing. Make it preparation rather than consummation. Make it a focus on the greater things rather than the great things. And this is one of those doctrines. Call it eternal security, call it perseverance of the saints. It is massively important in the way you think about being a Christian, staying a Christian, fighting to believe day by day. A lot of people think wrong things about this, and a lot of people think right things about this. I want you to think biblically. Now, my plan for this message got changed. I misled you at the end of the message last week by thinking I was going to number two in the message, and I'm going to number eight in the series. <laughs> okay, why? Because it occurred to me, and I just forgot, that this is the weekend when we put the most emphasis on getting as many people into shepherd groups as we can because of how essential we feel that is in the DNA of our life together. We want as many of you as possible to take that little card if you're not already in a small group and punch on the small group finder and let us help you get into some kind of cluster of believers who can help you persevere. So that was going to be number eight. And now it's number two, because that's what we're doing this weekend, and pastors adjust to the life of the church, not their ideal flow, <laughs> which I'm very happy to do, because it's true now as it would be in November. So the doctrine we're talking about goes under different names, eternal security, perseverance of the saints. And the practical implication that I'm going to draw out from Hebrews is that not only is this doctrine essential, but you are essential in making it happen. And that's what's often not thought about. It's often thought to be a God thing only, or a me thing, my faith's got to persevere, and not as often thought about a you and me thing which Hebrews says it is. So let's go to the text. And I will draw out of these four verses three summary points of a theology of perseverance that 
defines who we are. And then I will confirm it from other passages in the Bible. And then I will ask, how does that relate to the cross of Christ? And then I will close with application to husbands and wives and families and singles and small groups. That's where we're going. Point number one in the theology is in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart, an evil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Hmm. So, clear as day is that persevering involves vigilance. Take heed, lest there be in any of you that kind of heart that leads you to fall away and perish. Don't let it happen. So, first point in the theology is there's a warning, there's an urgent call to vigilance over our hearts, lest they become evil and unbelieving, and we don't give a rip about God anymore, go away into sin and thumb our nose at the church and go to hell. That's serious. So don't blow this off because your theology of security says it can't happen. The people that look at this verse and say, oh, I can't happen to me because I believe in the doctrine of eternal security, so I'm not going to take that verse seriously, are the most endangered people in the church. Okay, is that clear? That first point clear? Take verse 12 seriously and do it. Take heed to your heart, lest there be an evil, unbelieving rebellion, and you Throw it all away and perish. Don't let that happen. Fight for faith every day. Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That's number one. Number two is in verse 13. In contrast to a heart of unbelief, and giving way to it, exhort one another. That's what I'm doing, and I'm going to argue that's what we should do in our shepherd groups and all of our hanging out at the Twins game and everywhere else. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then he does what he just told us to do. He does it in verse 15. Today, this is a quote from Psalm 95, 7. Today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So he's using scripture in this little message of his to exhort, don't let your hearts get hard. So, second point in the theology is not just that there's a, a call to vigilance, that you persevere, but there's a statement that you and I are essential in helping each other do this. You got that with the word each other? Exhort one another. Exhort one another every day. Lest it happen, you must do this for me. Somebody must. 
And I'm doing it for you. Preaching is not the main way, at least not in terms of time, because you live 166 and a half hours of your life outside this room, where it should be happening day after day. And my job is to stir you up to do that, not to do it for you. Paul said in Ephesians 4.29, only let out of your mouth what is good for upbuilding as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Why? Because they need it. They need it. It's not a throwaway verse. You have a unique gift of God that somebody else needs from you. It's just a statement of, I'm struggling, how are you doing? That's good, that helps. We need grace, not just this direction, but this direction. Ephesians 4.29 and Hebrews 3.13. Exhort one another every day, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief leading you to fall away. You don't want to let that happen for your friends. This is why we believe in shepherd groups. So, just like God will not evangelize the world apart from human voices sharing the gospel, so he will not preserve his people apart from human voices giving faith-sustaining words. Is that clear? God uses means. And you are the means of another's perseverance. So am I. That's our job. Eternal security is a community project. Verse 13 of Hebrews 3. That's the third, that's the second point in the theology of, of perseverance. Number three. Verse 14. So do verse 13, exhort one another every day, help each other on the road, and, and help each other be confident, help each other have faith. For now, this is one of the most important verses in the book of Hebrews. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. But listen carefully. For or because we have come, that tense is all important, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. What that verse establishes is that if a person has come to share in Christ. That is, if you're genuinely a Christian, if you're genuinely born again, you will persevere to the end, period. Look at the logic and look at the verb tenses. They're all important. We have come to share in Christ 
if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That is, if we persevere, if we endure. We have come to share in Christ if we persevere. Notice, he does not say, we will come to share in Christ if we hold our confidence firm to the end. If I can just fulfill enough conditions, I can get into Jesus. If I just last long enough, I can have a share in Jesus. That's the opposite of what it says. This is just all important for your assurance. He says, we have come to share in Christ if we hold our confidence to the end. Which means that enduring to the end doesn't get you a share in Christ. It proves you have one. Already, perseverance is the evidence of being in Christ. Perseverance is the evidence that you have come to share in Christ. Let me put it negatively. See if we can make this crystal clear. If you don't hold your confidence in Christ to the end, what would it show? It would show you had not come to share in Christ. Are you with me? It says, you have come to share in Christ. If you hold firm, if you don't hold firm, you haven't come, that is, never were, in Christ. Which is why I totally believe in eternal security. Because that's what this verse teaches. If you're in Christ, if you came into Christ, if you united with Christ, if you believed on Christ, if you were born again, if God justified you through faith alone, you will persevere to the end because that's the evidence that it's happened. That's what verse 14 says clearly. It's exactly the logic of 1 John 2, 19. Let me read you that verse. 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You hear that? But they went out that it might become plain they were not of us. So let me read that middle phrase again. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, which is exactly what this text is saying. If you truly share in Christ, you will hold fast your first confidence to the end. Now let me summarize these three points of a theology of perseverance. Number one, be vigilant over your heart every day. Christianity is not floating down a river to heaven. It is swimming upstream to heaven. 
because the world, the flesh, and the devil want you dead forever. And they will batter you every day. If you coast, you go backward. So, take heed and be vigilant that your heart not yield to what you see on television and in the movies and on the internet in an endless avalanche of worldly influences to make you love the world more than you love Jesus. Fight it with all your might. Number two, as a means to that end, help each other. Exhort one another. Say faith-sustaining, faith-building things to each other every day. Keep an eye not only on your own soul, but on the soul of the people you love. The people in your family, and the people in your small group, and the people around you who you care about. The people uh, who are, you know, I'm sure they're Christians. Watch them and speak into their lives. Exhort one another every day. So that they, with you, will persevere to the end. That's number two. And number three, the reason you are called to fight, to persevere, is not because you can be lost, but to prove that you're not. There's a world of difference whether you're always wondering, am I saved, and then try to do enough, thing, enough things to get you saved, then knowing by the Spirit of God that you are saved, and then because you're saved, fighting because you love this Jesus, and you will love him more, and you will stand by him, and you will fight everything that would drag you away. Confirmation from other scriptures. Those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Between eternity past in predestination and eternity future in glorification, nobody drops out. This is a steel, unbreakable chain. If you are predestined, you cannot fail to be called. If you are called, you cannot fail to be justified. If you are justified, you cannot fail to be glorified. There are no dropouts. Nobody is lost who is predestined. Nobody's lost who's called. Nobody's lost who's justified. Nobody's lost who's glorified. This is rock-solid, covenant-keeping power of a sovereign God. It's not an inoculation on your arm, like, I got saved, I walked an aisle, I signed a card, and so it can't happen to me. I got antibodies in my blood against lostness. It doesn't work that way. You know what you've got? You've got the promise of God. You've got the promise of God Almighty. Which is why knowing Him and trusting Him and banking on Him every day is your security. Therefore, Paul says, Philippians 1.6, that was Romans 8.30, by the way, in case you're keeping track. Here's Philippians 1.6. 
I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. You're not going to be the main decisive agent in this. Jesus is, which is why you keep holding on to Jesus. Every day you get up and hold on to Jesus because Jesus is going to do this and nobody else is going to be the decisive doer of it. He is. Or 1 Corinthians 1.8, He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Just couldn't be clearer. Were you called to Jesus? Did it happen when you were six, 16, 26, 86? Were you called to Jesus? You heard the voice of Jesus in the Bible or from your mother or Billy Graham, or a tract, or the anywhere. Jesus, you heard it, a voice awakened, I believe, and you closed with Christ. You took him, you threw yourself on his mercy. He is yours. If that's true, this verse says, he will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. He will do it. He can't lie, and that's our confidence. Next question. What's the relationship between that glorious truth of eternal security, perseverance of the saints, the human agency involved in it, and the cross of Jesus? What's the connection? How would, where would you go to answer that question, I wonder? I go to Luke twenty two twenty, and the night before he died, he lifted up the cup and he said, this cup is, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What does that mean? That means that tomorrow, about nine o'clock, when my blood is poured out, what is happening is that I am paying an infinite price to secure an infallible possession of the new covenant promises for all my people. I'm buying them with my blood. I am securing them. I'm guaranteeing them. If my blood is of infinite value, you have an infinite ground for assurance that the promises of the new covenant will come true for you. And what is the new covenant promise? The new covenant is most explicitly described in Jeremiah 31 and 32 in the Old Testament. And my favorite expression of it is not in chapter 31, verse 33, which is wonderful, but in chapter 32, verse 40, which goes like this. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, the new covenant, that I will not turn away from doing you good. And I will put the fear of me in your heart, here it comes, so that you will not Turn away from me. <laughs> I love that. I just love that. 
God has taken it upon himself to hold on to me. I'm getting up in the morning and fight for faith. You know who's fighting for me in my fight? God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is the one who is at work in you, doing his new covenant thing. And I didn't finish it. I stopped in the middle of the verse. It gets better. It gets better. I prayed it. You heard me pray it. So let me start over. You should learn this verse. I will make with you an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to you. And I will put the fear of me in your heart so that you will not turn away from me. And I will rejoice over doing you good with all my heart and all my soul, says the Lord. I just can't imagine any greater verse in the Bible than infinite soul, infinite heart of God engaged in doing me infinite good and holding on to me and never turning away from doing me good. That's what he paid for with his blood. So, the connection between the cross and the doctrine of perseverance is that if you are a believer, if you're a believer now and have been for a year or a week, or 50 years, it's because he died to buy that. That endurance, that getting up in the morning and still being a Christian, still believing, he bought that. You don't do that. I mean, let me ask you, why do you think that you will wake up a believer in the morning? There's the right answer to that. God will make me a believer tomorrow morning. There's nothing intrinsic. This is God covenanting with you to be your God forever. So he's going to keep you a Christian. Your assurance does not lie in yourself. It lies in a covenant-keeping God. Application. God has united the certainty of our security and the necessity of our community. Got that? God has united in Hebrews 3.13 and 14 the certainty of our security and the necessity of our community. Exhort one another every day, one another, one another, one another, one another, one another, every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Eternal security is a community project, or we can now say, Blood-bought eternal security is a blood-bought community project. Now, that may sound fragile to some of you. I think Christian community is pretty wimpy. I think there's a lot of imperfection in the one anotherness at our church and every church I've ever been in, and this sounds pretty pretty fragile to me.
It's not fragile. It is no more fragile than the sovereign ability of God to bring others into your life and send you into theirs. It is no more fragile than the sovereign ability of God to bring people into your life and to send you into theirs. God is sovereign. God will sovereignly preserve all who belong to Christ. And he will do it through the faith-sustaining ministry of other believers that he stirs up to get in your face. Which means if you run away from life, communal life, people, you're running away from God's design to hold you. And you lose your warrant of assurance. I don't say you lose your salvation. It's not that simple. You might come back. But as far as a warrant, you're playing with fire if you throw away community according to Hebrews 3.13. Let's get specific. Three-fourths of the adults at Bethlehem are married, roughly. Check this out about a year ago. I assume it's still the same. That means that God, not man, what God has joined together, what God has joined together, that means that God, not man, has put three-fourths of our adult people into households designed for this very thing. So you see where I'm starting? I'm starting with the home or the household, the marriage unit, knowing that, you know, good, good fourth of our people are not married. I'm starting with the home unit as the first and most fundamental small group, shepherd group. Husbands and wives, parents and children. Let me give you, husbands and then wives, some specifics of what I have in mind when I say, do verse 13 for each other. This is especially the husband's responsibility, but also the wives. So here we go. First, husbands. Love your wife sacrificially and cherish her as a reflection of the love of Christ for his church. If she sees this, it will sustain her faith. Second, be alert and discern your wife's spiritual, emotional, relational, physical needs and make every effort to meet those needs directly or indirectly through other people. Third, Seek to build up your wife with biblical knowledge through your words and through your encouragement and help to get her connected with other teaching ministries provided by the church. Don't resent it if she wants to go to a women's Bible study on the night that you want to be home. Be glad. <laughs> Send her and babysit. Number four. Encourage and help your wife engage in ministry at the church and in the world. And that's just tip of the iceberg, guys. We, 
we, we as a staff want to devote energies in the years to come to help husbands and wives do this better. We, we really do. And we don't, we don't want to just throw you on your own. Wives, here, here's a word for you. Be alert to your husband's spiritual condition and pray earnestly for him. Second, encourage your husband by affirming evidences of grace in his life. This will sustain his faith. If you see just a little, little teeny evidence of grace in his life, praise it. Number three, support him in all his leadership efforts and be responsive to every effort he makes to lead spiritually. Number four, share from your life and your meditation the things that God is teaching you about Christ and his ways. Talk about them over lunch and breakfast and evening, what you're seeing of God. Four, whatever number I'm on. Share your life and your meditation. Oop, I said that already. Join him in serious conversation with respect and wisdom. Suggest to him people and resources that may be of help to him. No one knows him like you know him. Humbly and hopefully help him be aware of unhelpful habits and sins. This is very delicate for a wife, but not wrong. We're seeking to do Hebrews 3.13 together at home before anywhere else. Now, I know that assumes that you've got a believing spouse, which many of you don't. I also know that it assumes you have a willing spouse, which many of you don't. So, not being idealistic here, assuming like Bethlehem can do that in every marriage. Well, you can't. You're going to go home tonight and you won't even talk about this. You're so ticked with each other. But I do believe this is what he's calling us to. This is where you want to go. If it takes you 10 years to get there, give it 10 years. Don't throw it away. That's why I wrote my marriage book to say covenant keeping is the essence of marriage. If it takes you 10 years to get where you can pray together, take the 10 years. Every married... Now, here's a, here's a sec, now I'm moving in conclusion towards um, a statement about the church in relation to that unit. So, okay, so you get the church, the family of God, you get this little family over here. God did not design marriage to replace the church. He didn't design families to replace friendships. Every married man needs believing men in his life outside his family. Every married woman needs believing women in her life outside the family. Young people, the older they get, need young people in their lives outside the family. Single people need married people and single people in their lives so that the church is the family for us. The blood-bought church of Christ is the new supernatural family. So single people, married people, old people, young people, rich people, poor people, every ethnicity 
should find brothers and sisters who are not biological brothers and sisters or adoptive brothers and sisters, but blood-bought brothers and sisters called the church. Marriage is temporary. Parenting is temporary. The church is eternal. The church is the new family, and it is forever. So shepherd groups at Bethlehem are simply our effort to be intentional about being that kind of family in obedience to Hebrews 3.13. So let's read it once more as we close. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So, I encourage you, let us help you find a small group, a, a shepherd group. Or let us help you start one. God will help you love and be loved like this. God, I close with these two sentences. God will keep his children. And to become his instruments in that sovereign promise is an awesome thing. Let's pray. So, Lord, I want to be faithful both in the pulpit. I want to be faithful to Noel and Talitha at home every day. I want Noel to be faithful to me, to minister to me, call me to account, exhort me, even Talitha where appropriate if I've stepped out of line in some ugly way. I want to do it for the staff, Lord. I want to be a, an exhorter that helps the staff persevere. I want to do it for the elders. I want to do it for as many people in writing as I can. And that's what I want us all to be. So God, come and explode in this church with the kind of loving one anothering of Hebrews 3.13 more than we've ever known. And put underneath it, Lord, this massive, glorious doctrine. Those who you predestined, you called. And those whom you called, you justified. And those whom you justified, you glorified. And there are no dropouts. Give us a place to stand like that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.